ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Everybody, welcome into the Great Scott Show. Great sports callers, open think tank. Happy to have you with me this morning. On a Wednesday, welcome to December. Got a great show for you this morning. Gerald Broussard, the G-Man, raising Cajun color analyst, loves talking football of any kind. We're going to talk about Saturday's game, among other things. Championship weekend in college football. Maddie Hudak going to join me at 8.15. Maddie, sideline reporter for Tulane, but co-host over at ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans and covers the Saints for USA Today, writer for the Saints Wire. She'll be joining me at 8.15. We'll have open phone lines between G and Maddie. It's been such a crazy Five days in the world of college football. And last night, the college football rankings came out. Uh, Cajun fans were excited because they were ranked in it for the first time this season at 24. I will say what I said last week. I I don't think in the grand scheme of things, it, it matters all that much. Because the college football playoff rankings aren't around for an entire season. The college football playoff rankings, as we all know, are not all that accurate. I think a lot of folks have skepticism when it comes to the committee. And, you know, when it comes to the human polls, the AP and the coaches, that's something that's there for an entire season, whether it should be or not is debatable, but it is. So the number next to your name is going to be there a lot longer, you know, in the newspaper, online, in the media, when you're ranked in the human polls. Yeah, yeah, the college football playoff rankings matter a hell of a lot if you're one of the teams trying to get into the top four right now. Or once they expand it, trying to get into the top 12, however the format might be when they expand it to 12. But the fact that they're ranked 24, eh, okay. They were ranked 20th. If they weren't ranked at all, doesn't really change anything in my mind. Maybe Gerald feels different. I'll ask him about that. But that was just last night. Really, the real crazy thing in college football was all the coaches who left, mainly Lincoln Riley and, 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 and Brian Kelly, and then Billy Napier, of course, who is not left yet. He'll still be here for a couple more days. He has an introductory press conference scheduled in Gainesville on Sunday. But uh, he'll be coaching the Cajuns this Saturday. As far as the bowl game goes, that is TBD. And then you just had a lot of wild games, right? And with the Saints playing last Thursday, I, I this is the first week of football season where like I didn't even really talk NFL on Monday or Tuesday. I say that. I mean, I did talk some Saints yesterday with John Hendricks for about 20 minutes, but as far as the rest of the NFL goes. So I want to open up today's show. The top 10 teams in the NFL 
per me. All right? Who are the top 10 teams right now? Well, some would say Dallas is definitely in the top 10. Well, Dallas has won three of the last four. Excuse me. Dallas has lost three of the last four. Dallas is seven and four. You know, they're tied with about five other teams for the seventh best record in the NFL. But when you look at them compared to some of those other teams, I don't, I don't, I don't put Dallas in the top 10 right now. Even if they win tomorrow night against the beat-up Saints team, not with the way they're currently playing. They're having trouble running the football. Zeke is injured. Pollard's the best back on the team. Dallas is right there on the outside looking in. Rams are as well. The Rams are, are, you know, they've lost three in a row. They're certainly not the contenders that they appeared to be. There are a lot of teams that are kind of up and down. One thing in doing this exercise that I was reminded of is that the playoffs are going to be interesting, but it feels, the NFL, at least for the teams at the top, feels pretty open this year. My top 10 in the NFL right now, at number 10, have the Cincinnati Bengals. You talk about a team with ups and downs. They got off to a 3-4 and four start. They should have beaten Green Bay. They were 5-2. and two. They slaughtered the Ravens, who were good. But then they followed it up with a loss to the Jets. Then they got dominated by the Browns. Then they beat up the Raiders by a bunch and destroyed the Steelers. I think they're, they're, they're a young team that hasn't figured out yet how to handle success. And you look at the rest of their schedule and, and they're playing some similar teams like the Chargers this week. But I like Cincinnati at number 10. At number 9, I have the Titans. Look, the Titans, the injuries are piling up big time right now. And you're starting to see what happens to Tennessee when Ryan Tannehill has to carry the team. It's not good. Five picks the last two weeks. Quarterback rating is like, what, 58? It's not good. It's not good. The Titans, you know, they're 8-4, and four and, and, and they've lost two in a row, and frankly probably should have lost to the Saints, but to their credit, they didn't. And when they beat the Saints, it wrapped up what was at the time a six-game winning streak, and everyone's like, oh, look out, Tennessee, look out, Tennessee. And I said, okay, they're better than I thought they were, but they're still not a Super Bowl contender. In the last two weeks, they've lost to the Texans and gotten crushed by the Pats. But lucky for them, you know, they got a game against the Jags this week. Maybe try to get things right. But they're just too beat up right now. They're too beat up. When you can't run the ball and you got to ask Ryan Tannehill to win you games, it's not good. It's not a formula. Number eight, the San Francisco 49ers. Elijah Mitchell. Sixth round out of the University of Louisiana. Fourth game of 100-plus more yards rushing last week. George Kittle in the post-game press conference giving Elijah love. Elijah Wearing an Elijah Mitchell shirt. The E-Rath, the former Erath star is doing big things for the Niners. And a lot of people have been talking about Trey Lance, Trey Lance, Trey Lance. Jimmy G, man. Garoppolo, kind of like Tannehill, right? If you're not asking him to just go out and win you the game by himself because you can't run the ball, he's going to struggle. You can say that about a lot of quarterbacks. But look at this. Look, the, the Niners right now, they've won three games in a row. They've won four of the last five. And Jimmy Garoppolo's quarterback rating in the last five games 
is above 110. When you have a defense and you can run the ball, see how things are different? And now they get to go to Seattle this week. They have the Falcons on the schedule, the Texans. You got people out there comparing Elijah Mitchell to Adrian Peterson. I wouldn't go that far. No disrespect. I wouldn't go that far at all. That was Trent Williams that said that. Former Oklahoma offensive tackle. But, you know, he's leading the NFL in yards after contact. As Debo Samuel said, Elijah's an all-around back and play like he's 240 pounds, runs like he's a buck 90. You got speed, physicality. I, I said he should have been much higher than a six-round pick when it happened. I ran a 4-3-3 40-yard dash at his pro day. He was great. He was great. Earned the starting job over Raheem Mostert. And then Mostert got hurt with a knee injury. And it's when Mitchell's been able to play, he's missed a few games with injury, he's been awesome. He's third in rushing yards per game. Despite, you know, he's 10th he's in the NFL in rushing right now. He's only played eight games. He's got 100 or more yards in half of those. Number seven on the list is the Kansas City Chiefs because it feels like Kansas City's coming. As soon as everyone finally decided, okay, I guess I'm not going to bet on the Chiefs anymore, they reel off a four-game winning streak. Things seem to be turning around. They still lack a pass rush. They're, they're a finesse team, not a physical team. Chris Jones, they desperately need him on defense. The big thing for Kansas City right now is early in the season, they were turning it over a lot right now. They are forcing turnovers. They have eight takeaways during their four-game win streak. Number six, the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens just keep finding ways, man. Justin Tucker, he's the greatest kicker of all time. Of all time. Absolutely incredible. Mark Andrews. My boy, fellow type 1 diabetic, shares his story a lot. And he's tremendous. Mark, Mark, I mean, you know, Lamar Jackson's favorite target. Number five, Buffalo. The weird thing about Buffalo is I, I don't, I, they haven't shown they could win the close games. They haven't. You look at, the Bills' victories this season. Every one of their wins this season, every one of the Bills' wins this season has been by 15 or more points. You know, they smell blood in the water. They got you. Get them in a close game, you got them. I I, I still have questions about their run game. Their offense seems to be one-dimensional at times. Monday night, we get Patriots-Bills, and that is, without question, the best Monday night game we've had so far this season. That is going to be a big one and a barometer for both teams and likely a game for the division. Number four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay. People watch them in the first half last week. They call them trash. They watch them in the second half and say, oh, you know, when Leonard Fournette's running the ball, look out. The thing with Tampa Bay is can they stay healthy and run consistently? Tampa wasn't playing the best ball in the regular season. They got healthy and hot at the right time, and then they rolled through the playoffs and they won it all. Number three, the New England Patriots. Did not think I would have New England in my top 10 this late in the season, but they continue to climb. They are averaging 35 points a game. 
The Patriots have won six games in a row. They have a great defense. They are plus 13 in turnover differential during this six-game win streak. Monday night. Number two, the Arizona Cardinals. And if if Kyler Murphy could stay healthy consistently, they'd probably be number one on the list. But the fact that he's missed games and they've continued to win games with Colt McCoy tells you that Arizona has depth. Look, if Murray gets healthy, the sky's the limit. Okay? Yeah, they had a really bad loss of the Panthers in there. I get it. I get it. But their defense is legit. They have playmakers on both sides of the ball. They have incredible speed. Number one on the list is the Packers. They can be a mess, but with Aaron Rodgers, they're still rolling. They're still winning. They've won games. You you look at the Saints injuries, right? You know, Saints, you know, they're, they're two all-pro tackles mispracticed again yesterday. Ryan Ramchek and Teron Armstead. So... You're maybe going to be without them. You're maybe going to be without Alvin Kamara. I mean, good luck tomorrow night. Green Bay has won games when they were missing multiple Pro Bowlers. Why? Because of Aaron Rodgers. When you're missing four of your best players and you go win in Arizona on a short week, you got to give them their due. And it's Aaron Rodgers. When you got a quarterback, like if, if, if Aaron Rodgers is one of those injuries, no, they would be, shoot, they'd be, Four and eight. But they just keep winning. And now they get a bye week right now at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And number one on the list. Top 10 in the NFL. We'll revisit that a little bit later. Up next, Gerald Broussard. The man has played football. The man has coached football. The man has watched the film. The man lives for football. Raging Cajun color analyst. We'll talk to him about Coaching carousel, college football, the business of college football, the money in college football. We'll talk plenty about Louisiana's matchup this Saturday against App State and more, and it's all coming your way next. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports now at 103.3 on the FM, 1420 on the AM, and streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. For those of you listening online, it is brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Back in two minutes with G right here on the Great Scott Show. What's up, Acadiana? This is Rich Eisen. Check out the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from noon to three and get your sports fix right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the great Scott show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining me now as promised. Known by many. The legend, Gerald Broussard. 
on the phone line with me this morning from Parts Unknown. Good morning, G. How's life? Oh, it's doing good, Scott. Actually, you know, just like probably 90% of the people in South Louisiana have been fighting my allergies and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, when you finally get that good night's sleep and then you wake up and, and yeah, boy, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm getting ready to go whoop somebody today. I don't know who, but I'm feeling frisky. Man, hit the gym. That's, see, that I'm still waiting on that good night of sleep. That sounds awesome. Um, but by, by the time 7 a.m. hits, it's just all the caffeine that's got me going. It's not necessarily a good night's sleep, but I'm glad you got it. What, uh, what, what is, what is Gerald Bruce song? What is your favorite Beastie Boy song of all time, G? Because I know you've got the oh, dude, whole catalog. You, yeah, no, I, I, you, you, you could play them and I'd say, yeah, I've heard that one. Or maybe I haven't, or maybe I have. I don't know. <laughs> just, whatever it would be, would be, would be probably a lie, but, uh, I, 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 as I mentioned last week, we were talking about them a little bit and run, <laughs> run DMC. And That's I, right. Uh, I get confused. <laughs> All right. Let's talk some football, G. Um, one thing I wanted to start with you on, you know, folks can get certain analysis. You know, sometimes you can get the same analysis in a lot of places. What I like to get from you is something that you're not going to get a lot of places. And I want to start with a coaching staff. You know, you've you've been on a lot of coaching staffs in your life. As a former player, you went into coaching and you were in the college football ranks and you were an assistant and you coached line group. You coached a lot of stuff, G. You've got you you've got a large catalog of coaching. Billy Napier told me Monday when I asked him, Hey, look, you've been approached by a number of schools. What what was different about Florida? Why this one? And he didn't divulge the specific details of his contract. But if you listen good, you could hear the hints. And it didn't surprise me when he said staff, right? He said, look, they, they're, they're giving me the tools to do the things that I think you have to do to have winning football. And, you know, in, in all, in all aspects of the game and staff and, you know, staff's important. We, Dr. Maggard gave coach Napier the biggest contract pool for a staff. When he got to UL, he talked so much about the staff. And I think one reason why he pulled his name out of some potential runnings in years prior, if you talk to people around the industry that they would tell you, well, staff, right? As a guy that's been on a lot of staffs and you've been on some good ones and you get on some ones that didn't have the success that they hoped that they would have. How much can everybody talks about players, right? Yeah, a couple of bad apples can do this. How much can one bad apple impact the staff, and how much can unity of a football staff impact the winning on the field? Just some specificity in regards to the the difference that makes, because people hear it a lot. But as somebody that's lived it like you, I know you can, you know, give that firsthand perspective. Yeah, I think, it, and when you listen to Coach Napier, and one of the things in talking to people about it in the past, about why he stayed and why he turned stuff down, and look, I've never asked Billy about it personally, you know, and, and, and I, I wouldn't. I don't think he and I have a good enough relationship to me to get in his head. Now, at some point, I'd like to sit down and, and, and over a cup of coffee with him and talk about it, and, but I, I think when you look at Florida, what makes Florida different than what we heard with the Auburns or the South Carolinas or the Mississippi States in the past uh, is, is that not only do you, you're only as good, Scott, you know this, you're in business, you're only as good in, in who you surround yourself with. And it's all about players, but you still have to get the players, and you also have to, to nurture and develop the players. 
And that comes from the staff. The staff has got to be able you can have a great player, but but if you can't get the best out of them, you just got a, a, a shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know, and, and look, the streets are filled with shoulda, coulda, wouldas, guys that, that you know, have the talent to be able to do it, but for whatever reason couldn't maximize their, their abilities at whatever stage they're at. Uh, you know, right now, I, I had a friend of mine who's a Florida alum send me uh, some video on their current quarterback, and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's unbelievable. But yet Florida's, you know, they're struggling to be bowl eligible. Why is that? Because they're not playing up to their capabilities and they're playing up to, I don't want to say potential, because I had a player tell me one time when I told me he had a lot of potential, he said, that just means I ain't worth a crap right now. And I said, okay, pretty much. You know, but his high school coach had told him that. And so, uh, you know, when, when, when you are at a place like Florida, your assistant coaches pool and your support pool has opened up to everybody in the country. He, he, can, he can go out and get whoever he wants to come to Florida, irregardless of where they are. If he wants Rob Sale to come back and, and be his offensive line coach or offensive coordinator, he can go against the New York Giants and, and, and try and get him. If he feels like that's the guy. If he thinks that the guy at Oklahoma State is it, which names it, that we've all heard, you know, if he feels like that's the guy to be the defense coordinator, well, I'm at Florida. Now, at Mississippi State, maybe he couldn't do that. At Auburn or, or, or South Carolina, maybe he couldn't do that. At Florida, you can do that. And, and the other part of it is with, with Coach, Coach has a, a feeling of necessity when it comes to all of the, the, the support people, the, the number. Scott, we, we've talked about this before. It's amazing the amount of people that are on the trip with the Cajuns that don't play. They're not players, and they're not full-time coaches. And, 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 I, I, and whether they be analysts or whether they be – and I know, you know, like Coach Vietari is there for free because Coach Vietari is retired and he can do that. But, but he chose to do that. Uh, but, but he's got a number of other analysts that are there. And every coach, every coach has a guy that, that's – whether it be an analyst or assistant or whatever, that, that is his own personal to go with him. So you got 10 full-time coaches. That means that they've all got 10 analysts, and then you've got some special teams, some are recruiting, some handling your, your uh, social media, some handling your academics, some handling this, that, and other. Everything that coach feels is important, he's got somebody accountable for getting that done. That To, to where, you know, back in the day, you know, if you were an assistant coach, it was all the other duties that took away from your time of coaching. Uh, the way coach has it set up, or Coach Napier has been able to see do this, is that he doesn't take time away from coaching because he, he has other people to do that. And that's just, you know, kind of in, in talking with folks, that's, you know, just the saving way of doing things and all that stuff. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody sees that as important. And so if, if, if he does, he being Billy, if he does, then I think that that's you know something that he's been able to get across, and I think that's something that Florida has bought into. But you, again, when you talk about it, you know you can players make plays. Now we all understand that, but you've got to maximize your players' ability to be able to make plays, and that comes from your staff. Now look, it's a different type of staff now that you're dealing with here, because I saw somewhere somebody talked about Coach Napier never got a three-star recruit. I don't care. You got about 800 guys, not 800. I'm being facetious with it, but you got a number of guys playing in the NFL that Pete coached and then his staff developed into the players that they are. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, I think that a school like UL, you've got to be able to develop players. I don't care what you sign them as and what they play as that's important. You've got to be able to develop them. Now, it's a little bit different in Florida because you can go out there with that UF on your shirt 
and everybody at that school, whether they're good or not, they want to go home with you. And so the ones you get, you got to make sure that you maximize. Now, there is some player development that comes into it, but a lot of it is, especially nowadays, it's, it's player nurturing. And so, you know, you're having to deal with the transfer portal. You're having to deal with moms and pops, and you're having to deal with the, the NLI or NIL, you know, and, and all that stuff. And, and um, there, there are a lot of other things that go into it. What Coach is able to do, though, and what he sees is, He's got people that he feels like have expertise and all that stuff to, to put in a position to help him manage all of that. And uh, I think that's something that Florida was able to do for him. I, I mean, just in talking and, and, you know, being around some of the people that are around him, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised that he, in fact, I think the last time you and I spoke, you asked if, if I thought he was going to be there next year. And I said, no. And, uh, and, and it's been going right. on for yeah, a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Florida stuff. Going on yeah. For a while. yeah, but because of Florida, because of the, the the opportunity that Florida brought, in opposed to some of the other opportunities had in the past. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Great Scott show. We're visiting with Gerald Bruce R. G. Um, last last coaching staff question. Um, have you been on? You don't need to name names. Have you been on staffs where everything was just? working like clockwork right there was an understanding and have you been on staffs where there was just it it, it was just off right a personality just maybe division and and what 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 is that like you know do players feed off of that kind of energy good or bad right because yeah it's about developing and all the things you said but as a coach I imagine whenever you know, you've got great unity in terms of it doesn't mean everybody's best friends, but probably probably makes work easier and, and more enjoyable when things are, you know, clicking than whenever they're not. Right. Yeah, it really is. And it really does. And I tell you, the things that make it tough and, and, and you know, it's going to sound terrible when I say, but I'm going to, you know, I mean, we, we talk and stuff. Wives can run a staff now. I'm just talking about you. It, it's all part of having the right wives because, you know, they sit in the stands, they get to worry about, you know, my, my husband's not getting credit for this, that, or the other because they hear it. Everybody hears it, you know. And I've been on st- on staffs where it, it was all great and, and everything's going good, and then all of a sudden one wife didn't like the way things were going, and next thing you know, you got <laughs> I mean, it's just like throwing a bad egg in a gumbo. All of a sudden, you done ruin the whole gumbo, you know, and, 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 and your stuff ain't no good. And, and, it, and it will sour, and it will continue to sour. And uh, I remember when, when I was, one of the staffs I was on, one of the, the assistant coaches, the coordinator, called in the guy whose wife was causing the issues and told him, said, look, I think you're a good football coach. I think we can work together. I think we, this is going to go good. But if I hear one more thing out of your wife in that stance, I'm going to fire you. He said, this ain't going to work. And he said, if you can't get her to either buy in or then y'all need to move on, then, then you know, it's just not going to work. And, and that's all part of it where people, you know, it, it, it's, you, you spend so much time in there that it, it's, not, it's not imperative that you get along, but it's important that you do. And, uh, and but because, you know, you, you want to be able to, to walk by and you want to pull for offense, pull for the defense, and defense, pull for the offense, and, and all that good kind of stuff. Truth be known, though, that's, you know, that, that doesn't always happen. And, and there, there are a lot of things that, that, that lead to that not happening. And a bunch of it's kind of just insecurity. And it comes from strength of the head coach. If you've got a good, strong head coach that can control all of that, 
then you usually don't have that issue. If you don't, then you're going to, and we'll always have that issue. And I think that that's the thing when you, when you talk about, you know, the Cajuns the last few years, that there's never, and look, we've had some good people's coordinators and stuff, but there's never a doubt who the boss is and, and, and how he handles that room and handles that building. And, and, uh, and I think that's why it's been the success that they've had. And, uh, you know, right now, though, it, it, it's, it's a tough deal staff-wise because right now it's really every man for himself now. Um, you're not a member of the staff anymore because your staff is broken up. So that, that makes for it real tough right now. But, yeah, and I've been on some good ones. I've been on some bad ones. And truth be known is that, you know, it's it, uh, – you got to work through it, though. All, uh, it, whether they're good or bad, you still—it's just another obstacle that you got to work through. But man, when if you get a wife that's against you, and I say not against Gerald personally, but you know if they feel like that their husband's not getting the credit that he deserves, and, and then wives will be a little more vocal at times. Scott, that can make things really tough in the building. Gerald Bruce, on our guest, yeah, it, it it takes a special woman to be married to a coach, uh, one that you know is on different staffs, is moving a lot, is traveling a lot. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, the, the head coach at Arkansas. You know, he and his wife have moved 20-plus uh, times, um, and then he's finally a head coach. You, you've you moved many times. Your son, John, was was in many different schools in many different states growing up. It's difficult. And, you know, like you said, um, happy wife, happy life. And when your home life is in check, you know, your work life is more in check as well. And it, it all it all factors into it. Last thing about assistant coaches, because I, I'm glad you just brought up a point you did. The focus or the conversation among many with Coach Napier was, are you going to coach in the conference championship game? And he said it was never a doubt, right? Are you going to coach in the bowl game? He said that's, that's to be determined. Um, he said it was never a doubt. You know, when I talked to Florida, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be coaching here and, that's my total focus this week, right? When he talks to me Monday, he's like, as soon as I get off the phone. And, and I, don't, I don't doubt him at all. I know that their focus is on this game. But you just said it. You had a whole staff. Some of them not sure what happens next. Are, are, does Billy want them to go with them? Are they going to have opportunities for the next coach here? Do they want to move? Do they want to go? How do you as an assistant deal with? Because it's not, it's not, oh, our guy got fired. We're going to be looking. No, we've had great success, but I'm, I'm not sure what my next step is. It's not always an assistant on a, on a staff that's, that's struggling with on-field results. The ones that are really good suddenly are looking around. How do you focus on the task at hand when you're an assistant here and your future isn't as mapped out as the head coach who will coach hopefully a win on Saturday and then the next day, you know, be you know, get introduced in, in Gainesville as the next head coach of the Florida Gators. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough. And I've been on, on, on staff for, you know, the head guy. Uh, when I was at SFA, our head guy left to go be a coordinator at at, 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 uh, at Iowa State. And uh, he, he was, you know, we were talking about it. And he was, he said, look, as soon as I get there, I'll let you know if I can bring you in. And, and he said, we haven't talked. And about all the different positions that they're going to have and all this stuff. And, and, I, and he, he said, you can't be mad at me. I said, well, dude, I'm not mad. If that's what you want to do, you got to go do that. I just don't know that I would have taken a job and fired nine of my friends. I said, and, and that's in the sense what he did. Uh, because he, look, he ended up bringing one guy with him, but the other eight of us were out scrambling. Uh, you sit around and say, you know, that our focus has got to be. But the reality of the situation is, is that, you know, Billy's leaving. Uh, the other guys, they don't know. 
And, and you know, I went through it with, with different coaching changes, being at UL, USL and then at UL, and then, oh, you're a local guy and they'll want to keep you. And then, yeah, they may have said that, but nobody ever did. And, uh, you know, so there were some chances to leave. I had a good friend of mine that was on the Tulane staff when Bowden was a head coach. They go 12-0 and and in the Liberty Bowl. Bowden leaves and goes to Clemson, doesn't take him. Selfo comes in, takes the job, doesn't keep him. And the guy ended up in junior college the rest of his career. Golly. And, uh, I mean, look at that. You're on and, the and, greatest team in that school's history. I'll never forget that 98 Tulane team. I mean, they were they were they were loaded. Yeah. I mean, they, they were they should have been in a BCS game that year. And you think about the success, and there's a coach on the staff, and it, you know the success leads to him. You know, I I'm sure he did good in JUCO G, but it is a step down, probably in terms of salary and everything else, because you had a ton of success. Well, and and, and that being said, is with, with that is as, as you mentioned. I mean, dude, you're living in New Orleans now. He he had been at Southern Miss and been in Hattiesburg and been in, in, in several different places, but you're living in New Orleans, and now all of a sudden he ends up in Western Mississippi uh, at a junior college, and, and him and his wife there. And I was like, and I, I, I'll call him by his nickname. We called him Rabbit all the time, but. Uh, I said, Robert, how's Brenda doing? He said, dude, we're living in a dorm in Western Mississippi. How do you think she's doing? Jeez, and, uh, hey, you know, honey, uh, congrats on you. <laughs> oh, you're, getting, you're, having, you're winning a lot. You're getting a raise right now. We're, uh, we're going to live in a dorm in the middle of nowhere. Yeesh. Yeah. It's tough, <laughs> anyway, man. But, but that's tough. all. So, yeah, you sit in there and, and you go in the building. And look, you try and insulate yourself from it. But, but truth be known is now, used to when the phone would ring, you could hit ignore. Well, now you can't hit ignore. You have to answer every phone call. Right. You've got to be paying attention to everything that comes across. And, and, and you've got to, as hard as you're working for, for yourself or for your school, for your players, I mean, for, for your players, you've got to work for yourself because you just don't know. I mean, you, you think about it, Coach Napier brought in several new guys to this staff this past year. And them guys are just getting here. Now, that's different than when we were coaching Scott only because they've got contracts. You know, back when we were there, we, we didn't get contracts. So, you know, we, uh, we've talked about this before. You always call that will employees, which means they only owe you two weeks. Now, they, 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 UL did a little bit better. They, they would pay you to the end of January. <laughs> like, that really helped a lot. Instead of two weeks, they paid you six. Uh, but, but, you know, at that time, you're, you're out there scrambling, trying to find work. The other part of it is, is that you know, people don't think about it. you, you got to worry about insurance for your family because you're getting off the state insurance now. So you got to worry about insurance for that and then try and make sure that knowing if you're moving, you know, with us, one of the things that was a chore was Julie was an educator. So when we left and went to Arizona, she had to get certified in the state of Arizona. Then we ended up in Tennessee. Well, she did it reciprocate. So we go to Tennessee. She's over there getting certified in Tennessee. We come back to Louisiana. She starts counseling. She's got to get another certificate to get back into Louisiana. Then we go to Texas. Well, you know, Texas doesn't reciprocate anything. they got to have their own. So she gets certified again over there. All for her just to keep her job uh you know, while we were trying to get us situated. And look, at that age, you don't want to go back to school. But you, you kind of do, and then you talk about wives. That's why them girls are so special. Nowadays, though, you know, a lot of coaches make enough to where the wives don't have to work. But that just means they've got to do more work with the move and getting all that set up. So, yeah, it, it's, 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 a, it's a fun time. It's a, it's a, it's a good time because you get ready to celebrate. But some of these guys, to be honest with you, they're going to go, they're going to, they're going to be in a bowl game. After that bowl game, they're going to be unemployed. But no, had no fault yeah. of their own. Yeah. They're going to be unemployed. Gerald Broussard. Well, no, 
no fault because they've done great at their job. It's such a again the 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 assistant coaching aspect of college football is the one that doesn't get covered nationally unless you're a top tier assistant. You know, like the cat at Notre Dame, the Brian Kelly, you know, Marcus Freeman, unless you're one of these cats, maybe that's, that's vying for a head coaching position somewhere. Other than that, your name's not the news, right? And there's a lot more of them than there are the guys that are getting covered. So it's, it's something to keep an eye on this week is obviously an extra challenge. Before I ask you about UL versus App State, Gerald, what, what is your, you, you've been around college football for so many years, you know, a number of decades do you have any – I know you've got strong opinions. What do you make of the amount of money, the the head coaching, I guess, tabloids? You know, it's almost like a, a reality TV type thing now in terms of guys leaving in the middle of the night, the drama surrounding it, the jokes, the the heartache, the fan bases, you know, Oklahoma's fan base now – now, Oklahoma's compliance acting like, you know, the assistants can't leave because they're state employees. It's like, okay, but oh, you, you've, you've never taken coaches from other schools, you know, like it's happening to you now. So you feel different. I, the, the whole thing, you know, yeah, NIL, I get it. And yeah, the coaches, all this money, but let's remember, you know, schools can fire coaches whenever they want to and break out of contracts. There's, there's so many wrinkles to this thing. People have strong opinions. I just, I just wanted yours before we talked about the game Saturday. Yeah, I do. I, I think that look, and, and, and I, I'll say this: I'm a, I'm a big fan of being UL and doing UL stuff and broadcasting for the Cajuns and all that good kind of stuff. But, but I understand what it is to be dumped on by USL and UL. I understand that personally. And, and, and when I say dumped on this, is there some personal stuff that goes on for that? Now, uh, I, I think, you know, trying to be, and, 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 and look, I'm not saying I'm a, I tell people all the time, I, I'm Catholic. My wife's really Catholic, and I try hard to, to, without being hypocritical towards my faith and try and turn the other cheek and do all that kind of stuff. It's hard sometimes, Scott. But, but I, I think when, when you look at it, and I hear people, you know, fan bases talk about this and talk about that, my, my whole deal is it's a heck with you. <laughs> and I, that's coming as one, as a person from a fan base now, you know, is that everybody, it, 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 look, it, now it's just reported a lot different because of the uh, ability for people to get the word out there with, with all the social media stuff. But, you know, the, these, I, now, do I like what Lincoln Riley did? No, I, I don't like that. Do I understand what he did? Well, sure, I understand, because they didn't ask his opinion of going in the SEC, you know, and, and uh and look, he may or may not have, have, have been in that situation, said he would agree with it or whatever. But uh, I, I see Coach Kelly coming over to, to LSU, and, I, and uh, Crippler and I were texting back and forth, oh, Chris Lano. And, uh, you know, Chris is, and look, I'm, 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 I agree with the hire. I like the hire. I think that dude's crazy wanting to go in the SEC West. Dude, the SEC West. Now, I mean, what a chore. But, but you know, I, I hear all the people that are coming in. Not that I don't think he can win. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything like that. I just think that the SEC West is the toughest conference, not division. That's the toughest conference in college football. Uh, it's, just, it's so many good teams are getting better. But, but uh, you know, when, 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 when you hear of people that are being overly critical to guys moving on and taking care of themselves, when they know that they would turn around and just fire them in a heartbeat if things didn't go the way they uh-huh. wanted or anticipated, then, yeah, I to heck with you. I don't worry about that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I feel like a lot, I said this yesterday, it turns into this, what about the players and how can the coaches do this? Now, 
I, I do have, um, you know, I, I would, I, I'm sympathetic to the players. As Coach Napier told me, it's, it's really hard on probably the younger players, right, who just got somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's good that he, he understands that and has that empathy. But, like, I don't, I don't blame the coaches either. It's if, if, you, if you have to blame someone, sort of just blame the whole business of college football and, and the agents driving up the price and the idea of the price of winning and colleges willing to cut you like that if you're not winning. Oh, well, yeah, they pay the head coach all this money. Well, as you and I have discussed here over the last 20 minutes, G, what about all the other coaches, right? Fans don't think about that. So the, the idea that... If it's not working out, a school can just, you know, throw you out there and not worry about it. I don't blame a coach for saying, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get my best when I can." You know, um, so I, I, it's if you're looking to blame someone, I feel like a lot of the blame is is almost in the wrong place. It's like I don't know. I and, and things are evolving, and maybe fans will look at it differently. Years ago, I remember a ton of years ago. People would get mad at any NFL player that held out for more money. Well, how dare they? They're a bad teammate. It's like, don't you know that that team will cut them in a set? Like, why are you defending the owner who's fine instead of this player whose body is their is their income and they're just trying to look out for themselves? I think I think you know some fans still feel the same way, but I do think the changes you know, or I guess the thoughts on it among fans have evolved a lot. And maybe ten, fifteen years from now, fans will look at it differently. But I do think the vast majority of fans, it is blame the coach, the poor kids. And I, I again, I'm not saying that the kids aren't in a tough spot. And now you've got different transfer rules, and it's a little bit easier, and all that other stuff. All I'm saying is I don't blame the coaches. I agree, and I and I do I do feel for the kid. I was a, I was a player of the transition, you know. But back in the day, you know, Coach Coach Tamarella came in, Augie Tamarella came in, and, and coached for the Cajuns. After six years, he was gone. Uh, Coach Sam Robertson came in and replaced him. After six years, he was gone. And then Coach Stoker came in, and after his six, we got an, a, a, another chance at it. The only reason we stayed around for thirteen was because we happened to sign a guy named Jake Delone. Uh, we, we wouldn't have been around that long had we not got him after because after six we were getting ready to get going and then we signed Jake, uh, so that was a pretty good run after that. But 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 I think that what ends up happening is is that uh, again the players are the ones that and, and look they they they'll get through it and and nowadays there are other opportunities if they don't like it there are other opportunities for them to go that that weren't there when I was there. I mean heck we just. Okay, they fired Coach Augie. Well, Coach Sam's coming in, and now we ended up with the same assistant. That's the other thing. The players are a lot closer, Scott, to the assistant coaches than they are to the head coach. And that's who they're worried about. When the coaches go home, I was sitting across the aisle from Rory Seagrass's wife. She was talking about having Thanksgiving with all the defensive line and stuff. That's the one thing that, 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 that one of the big things that we missed about having all the kids over to the house and stuff. And still talk to a lot of old players about, you know, coming over to the house and jumping all in the swimming pool and tearing up all our stuff and having a good time with eating pork steaks and stuff. But, but, uh, you know, now it's the assistant coaches that are that are that those kids are worried about. Well, who, who's going to coach me? And uh, and then you know what? Though coaches and kids are chameleons; they'll get through it. And if not, then they, at least they have opportunities to move on. Gerald Broussard, our guest. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gee, this Saturday, a conference championship game, uh, one of the biggest, maybe the biggest game in Cajun Field history. Uh, they're ranked in the top 25. They're in the latest college football playoff rankings. They've won 11 straight games, a school record. They won extended to 12. 
They want to win an outright conference championship. They hadn't done that in many, 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 many years. They got an opportunity to do it. Yes, the, the, the game itself has a lot of outside noise for multiple reasons, many of which we have discussed. But once that thing kicks off Saturday, the, that noise has got to be gone. It is about getting it done in the trenches. Louisiana beat up App State earlier this year. It was one of the more surprising scores. And if you watch the game, they just beat them, right? But App was favored before that game started. And UL went out there and they locked it up and they got it done. Now they've got a lot of noise they're trying to block out to get ready. What are you expecting Saturday at Cajun Field? Give us a couple of G's, keys, and and what and, – and I know I'm asking a lot of questions here, G, but what's the most overlooked aspect of this game on the field? I think the physical part of this, because what happened in the first game, Scott, one of the things that, 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 that happened is that App State, the Cajuns physically dominated App State. I'm talking about just punched them in the face. Picked the fight, started the fight, won the fight, kicked them down the hill. When they tried to get up, they kicked them again. Then they tripped them, then they pushed them, and they just they sent them home and, and, and just said, that they didn't, I mean, we're going to whip your butt and make you like it. And they did. App could do nothing wrong. And that's something that App is never – I talk and we've talked about this before. I talked to Pat Larson, who's receiver coach at App State. He used to coach here for the Cages, good friend of mine. And, and – uh, he was actually just calling after the game, checking on me because he didn't know about the health issues I'd had. So he was checking all mad at me, and I said, well, boy, I said, are you okay? He said, dude, he said, no. And they were just getting off the plane. They were just getting back to Boone. And, and he said, no, I'm not. He said, this is, we, we've never been through nothing like that. And I told him, I said, well, look, the good thing about it is if you win the rest, you get to come back and try and avenge it. He said, well, that's exactly what we talked about. And, and their whole goal was to get back to Lafayette and then fix that. I think that's the thing that the Cajuns are going to have to do because I tell you who don't care about all the other stuff we've been talking about is the boys in Boone. They could give a darn. They got they got their lunch money taken, and the bully don't know how to handle that. He don't like that. And so anyway, now they're going to come back, and I think that's that to me the the key of it is is that this is going to be a fist fight. I mean, it's not going to be nothing pretty. If you if you just uh, we talked Ben and I talked about it on the broadcast, you know, I told John about it. Said if Vans don't like uh, physical, just leave him home. Just leave him home because this was going to be, and it ought to be. I mean, it's a conference championship between App State and the Cajuns. You know, it's supposed to be physical. It's supposed to be gritty, and and it, it should be. I don't want to say dirty, but it should be nasty. It almost needs to be played on the grass field in the mud. And, and just old school go fight, and, uh, and and I think the team that that can that can just want to fight and look, it's going to be four rounds. I mean, it's not going to be over at half. It's going to be four rounds. Uh, uh, talk about it by quarters. Uh, you know, just because you win the first quarter, don't mean this thing's done. I think you're going to have to win it and win it and win it again, and then be there at the end to go win it. And uh, I, I just, I'm so excited for who it is. I think the distractions are something that are going to be reality. I mean, but but if the Cajuns aren't able to mentally put that aside, if the coaches aren't able to uh, mentally get the guys prepared to, then they're, they're, Apple get their attention. Now, one of the things: be careful what you wish for if you have. Because you're coming, and you said you wanted to come back. Now you're back. Well, okay. When I, when I was at McNeese, we were playing Texas State, and they used to talk about, well, we're going to set the tempo. We're going to do a blackout night and all this stuff. I said, okay, well, we, we like black, too. And uh, they come out, and they were playing uh, back in black and all that good kind of stuff. And, 
our boys were jumping up just as high as theirs were. And, you know, after about a 50-point butt whooping, we told them you might want to retire them black jerseys. And they did. They got rid of the black jerseys, you know, because they don't, don't, don't pick a fight that you can't win. And so I, I don't know. I think it, that's what I said. This one, uh, I'm, I'm so excited for it to get to see it. And, and uh, you know, I just – I am a little bit disappointed because you know how I am, Scott. I mean, like I'm 60 years old. I like mud. I think I'm, I am old school. I, I still wish I had a flip phone razor, but, but I don't. Uh, you know, I just think that it's uh, it would be kind of cool to see this one in the mud with just a fight and just, you know, hitting people with helmets and stuff. I think it would be just awesome. Gerald Broussard getting me fired up. Uh, 12.30 pregame on Saturday, 2.30 kickoff. Gerald Broussard and Jay Walker in the booth. Have the call for you right here on ESPN Lafayette as well as Hot 107.9 from Learfield. Cody Juno on the sideline, always locking it down. It uh, might be, you know, certainly one of the bigger crowds in Cajun Field history. I know a lot of folks that plan on being there, the tailgating, they're going to allow them to do a Cajun walk. Somebody might say, what do you mean allow? It's a home game. Well, it is a home game, but it's different. It's it's a home game run by the Sunbelt Conference. It's Things are different. It's like when, when your team hosts a tournament in baseball or basketball or softball or something like that. It's The, the setup is different. There are some things that aren't the same. You know, you see... It, it's just it's different. That's all I can say. There was some some speculation that they wouldn't be a Cajun walk. They're going to have it, uh, and having this game at home, Gerald. I mean, it, it it goes without saying. I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize it improves your chances a ton, especially compared to going to Boone in December. But how many points do you think it it it, it matters? Right at the end of the day, having this game at Cajun Field as opposed to in Boone, how big of an advantage that is. Just some. Aside from, well, it's huge, like as a, co- as a former coach and player, all of maybe some of the little things the fans wouldn't know about what makes that big of a difference getting to host a conference championship game. Well, I, I think you earn that. And I think that's the thing is you want to feel like you earn something and you get rewarded for it. That's why I think it's big is because you don't have to go get on that plane. You don't have to go. It's not an easy trip to go to Boone. Now, you don't, stay, you don't fly into Boone and stay in Boone and play the game and then fly out of Boone. You fly into a different town, and I don't say what town, because the Cajuns have tried it a couple of three different ways to figure out what's best. Because you can, just Boone can't accommodate a team coming in. It doesn't, it's not able to do that. So you got to fly into one area, drive about an hour, go stay in that town, then drive an you know, hour and a half to two hours to get to the game, then play the game, then drive that two to two and a half to get home. So it's just it's never... Uh, nothing is easy about going there, uh, but 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 when you have it at the house, and, and I would say you're able to stay in your own bed, but the cages don't. They actually go out on Friday night, stay in a hotel, and all that stuff. But but they're very familiar and comfortable with their surroundings. And and, and Scott, I'm just telling you, it it is special to go down that tunnel on game day. That that tunnel just, I mean. It, 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 it echoes. I remember going down that thing. We were getting ready to play Kansas State. I had a friend of mine from Kansas State walking down there with him named Charlie Dick. He was offensive line coach for K-State at the time, and, and uh, Coach Schneider was coming down the tunnel. He was complaining, look how nasty this is. Because on the side of the wall, they got that little slime, you know, where it eased up. And I took offense to And I told his old butt, you really going to think it's nasty when we whoop your butt, and then you got to come walk up here. Somebody have to get, put you on a golf cart, you old joker. And I was all mad at him for talking bad about the tunnel. You know, and he shouldn't have done that. And then uh, <laughs> Charlie got mad at me, and he told me, well, you can't talk Coach Snyder that way. I said, he shouldn't talk about my damn tunnel. You know, and he did. And then we whooped their button, and they didn't want to shake Gerald's hand. 
You know, I don't, I don't understand that. But but uh, it wasn't like we beat him bad. We beat him on a field goal. <laughs> so yeah, uh, shout out Tyler Albrecht. But but anyway, we I remember uh, that game. You know, but dude, I just I just you know, and and I think the kid, dude, you come down there and you start your little chant, and it echoes in that tone, and then, you know, and then you come out to the fans and all that stuff. It's just. I, it means you're at your home. You earn that, and you're there, and you get to do that. And then, you know, your people are going to be there, and, and, and you're going to have. And, and you're right. I mean, getting to do the Cajun walk is something. I'm just glad the conference allowed it to happen. But, but because uh, I do think that it'll be one of the better Cajun walks they've had in a long time. You know, for, for people to come in there and thank this team, not just Coach Napier, but thank this team for doing what they did. And then look, if you can hug that joker that wears number one. You know, because, and I know he didn't do it by himself. I know he's had a lot of help, you know, and I'm, I'm just thinking about Max Mitchell, who's been winning every snap, you know, right there, and Percy Butler, who's been doing stuff for seems like forever, and Chauncey, and Karad, and, and my boy, Big Sauce, huh? You know, but, but those guys, are, we know they're out playing in all-star games after this, but, you know, they've given us something so special to be able to come and share with your family and friends and hug them around the neck, tell them thank you, and then tell them, now go finish it. And, and that's what you got to do. You got to find a way to finish. You know, a number of those years where the Cajuns didn't win outright conference championships, we weren't in conferences. We right, were independent. Right, right. And playing, playing, and, and look, that was, uh, I mean, you, you used to come out, I've used it several times. That's prostitution is finest because we would go anywhere for a dollar. You know, that's how we made our money, was just playing games uh, and I, going out know, there. I'm looking at teams, you know, schools in the SWAC since college basketball started. One of them went to the Cajun Dome and, and won on Saturday, but they don't play a home game till conference play starts. They travel everywhere, and that was like yes. from a football standpoint, that was life as it is, as an independent back, you know, with USL. But number twenty Louisiana against App State this Saturday. That should be where we ended, G. Uh, but there was a question I missed, so I got to ask you, and it's not the best way to wrap it up because you just did a great job. We should probably end on that note, but I. I, I've had some fans come back at me for my take on the college football playoff ranking as it pertains to the Cajuns. It matters a lot if you're fighting for a top four spot. Whether you're ranked in the back 20s or not, I, I know fans pay a lot of attention to it. I think it's irrelevant. Like, it's it's nice. It's cool. The college football playoff rankings are only around for, like, what, seven weeks, six weeks? Uh, yeah. the, the human polls are there forever. I think in terms of, like, branding – it's better to have one of those numbers next to you for a longer time than a number that from a committee, there's not a, there's not a single soul out there, even like, you know, Georgia, Alabama or Notre Dame fans or, or, or Ohio State that would tell you with a straight face. Yeah, the committee, you know, they do right by everyone. Like my point is no one looks at the college football playoff committee and says, yeah, those guys get it right. So like freaking out last week and then being satisfied this week because they're ranked. I don't. I, I find it irrelevant, but it's just my opinion. I wanted yours on that before we before I let you go. Well, it, 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 I'll agree with you on the point of it being irrelevant. I'll agree with the fans on the point of it. It's still really cool. You know, it, it, it is finally, you know, when you've been there. Look, as a guy who's been in there, we used to get, get excited when we were in the others receiving votes. Sure, in you the know? human polls. Yeah, uh, I, get, I get that. Yeah. I get that for sure. And so any, any opportunity to be recognized with that, and, and you know, when, when you do everything the Cages have done this year and to still see other people, because they list 25, so if you still see other people listed ahead of you and you're thinking, well, why not us when we've done all this? 
And then finally, at the end, you could say, okay, at least, at least now we see our name when we look. And I understand that part of it. The other part of it is, is that, look, when guys, they got so many people that are into the social media and promoting and promoting and promoting. That's just another opportunity to promote. And so, you know, you need to be able to do that. The importance of it, the relevance of it, there is none. But, but being cool, I think is pretty cool. Gerald Broussard, a cool dude, uh, has spent way too long with me this morning. I've kept you way too long, G. I need to let you get back to work, but uh, we start talking ball, man. I just let you talk forever. Great hearing from you. I really appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, Gerald Broussard will be in the booth with Jay Walker this Saturday for the Sunbelt Conference Championship game at Cajun Field. Be there. If you want to hear him, bring that headset, right? Listen to G and Jay break it down. Coney Juno on the sideline. Get access to things that you would not get access to if you're at the game and just listening to the fan next to you, either griping about the official or cheering their behind off, whatever it is. Either way, check it out. Pre-game begins at 1230. Richie Falgo and Stevie P have that for you this Saturday. Gerald, man, I appreciate it. All the best, my friend. And um, tell your wife she's awesome for being married to a coach as long as she was and not disrupting any coaching staffs. Yeah, bless your heart. Bless your heart. And, and, and thoughts to you always, you and your family, my friend. Appreciate you. You got it, G. That is Gerald Broussard. Wonderful stuff there. We'll take a quick time out. Come back. 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Saints Injury Report. Ooh. Matty Hudak, Saints writer for USA Today, going to be joining me at 8.15 as well. Open up phone lines for a little bit. It's all coming your way right here on the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN 1420, KPEL Lafayette. ESPN 1033, K277DQ Lafayette. A Town Square media station. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Opening segment of the 8 o'clock hour will be a quick one as we got Matty Hudak coming on in 10 minutes. Saints injury report yesterday. No bueno. On one hand, it's better than it was last week. On the other hand, it's still not good. Look, last week against the Bills, the Saints were without QB1, QB2, wide receiver 1, RB1, RB2, LG1, RT1, and tight end 1. And this week, they could be without a bunch they're going to see how Taysom Hill's foot responds today. He's dealing with plantar fascia, partially torn. That is extremely painful. They're going to see if he uh, gets through practice okay today. And if he does, he will start tomorrow. Ryan Ramchek, though, limited Monday. DNP yesterday did not participate. Teron Armstead did not participate. Alva Kamara has been limited the last two days. I will tell you that I will be surprised if he is able to play Wednesday based on some things that I am hearing. Mark Ingram, he'll play. So on one hand, you'll have him back. On another, you should have Taysom back, enough to where he's not just standing on the sideline as in case of emergency break glass, but actually playing. Not the best, but fed what you've been working with, I suppose. Marcus Davenport, DNP. Caden Ellis, DNP. Tanoa Kasagan, TNP. It's not good. 
Cedric Wilson still hurt for the Cowboys. C.D. Lamb is expected to play. But Amari Cooper, yeah, still dealing with COVID, the effects of it, even though he's back in the building. Still sick. I don't know why he's back in the building, but he cleared 10 days, so I guess technically, per the, you know, CDC, he was okay to go back in, and now they're not sure if he's going to play. Both teams will be shorthanded, it appears. Saints a little more shorthanded than the boys. We'll talk about more uh, of that with Maddie, and we will also get much better. Look, final injury report today. We'll know who is in, who is out, and who is questionable for tomorrow night. I'm just telling you, at this point, I'd be surprised if we see Alvin Kamara Thursday. Emails. You can email me, scott at ESPN1420.com. Check that, scott at ESPNLafayette.com. Jacques emails. Scott, heard you talk about Brian Kelly briefly with Gerald. I've heard various reports that he's been getting paid $15 million a year. My friend told me he's getting paid less than $10 million a year. Can you please explain to me what his contract is? Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty wild. I'll say that. There are a lot of various incentives in it. Like he has a, a half a million dollar bonus just for being bowl eligible. So some of the incentives are pretty easy to get to. Yeah, it's nine and a half mil annually, but he gets a half a million dollar bonus just to getting to six wins. He gets a half a million dollar uh, bonus, something called an annual longevity bonus. So if he wins six games a year, he's getting a million dollar bonus with those two things. There's a $2 million coach buyout after the second season. But if you look at the bowl incentive, Technically, it's nine and a half million a year, but it's really like ten and a half million a year. And yes, there are other incentives in there, right? I, I think his yearly salary—I think I, I read this from Ross Dellinger—it starts at nine million next season, increases to nine point two the following year, and then increases by two hundred thousand every two years. So by twenty thirty one, the annual salary is ten million, but you have the bonuses, the half a million longevity bonus, which every July of the contract year, boom, he just gets the bonus. Half a million bonus each season when LSU's bowl eligible. That's only six wins. I mean, LSU has been bowl eligible twenty straight seasons. Or twenty one. Last year they, you know, withdrew themselves from bowl eligibility, still finished five hundred. So he could receive million annual max incentives, which includes SEC and national title stuff. So you throw that in there, the bonuses, the salary. LSU apparently is going to give him an interest-free loan of 20% of his, you know, home up to over like a million dollars or something, a couple of vehicles he can use, vehicle allowances. So, yeah. Crazy, crazy money. Lots of money. Lots of money. A lot of bonuses in there. But it's not $15 million a year like some had uh, initially reported. But if he wins, you know, if he, if he wins the SEC, he gets a $250,000 raise to each remaining contract year. So you win the SEC, it's not just, boom, here's a $250,000 raise. It's here you go, here you go. So if he were to conceivably win one next year, a 10-year deal, you're looking at extra 2.5 mil, just like that. If he wins the national championship, he gets a half a million dollar raise each remaining contract year. So that's where that potentially 15 mil comes from. But 
still uh, still a ton, ton of money for Brian Kelly. Hope that cleared up for you, Jacques. I probably just confused you more than you already were reading all those details. It's uh, it's a bit it's a bit complex. It's a bit complex. Eleven after the hour. The Saints. She's been calling for Taysom to start for a while. Looks like barring a setback in today's practice, he finally will. I didn't think he was. I thought the injury was going to keep him out as the starting go-to quarterback for the season. I guess technically it still might, but all signs are pointing to him starting against Dallas tomorrow night. What chance does this Maddie give him? How does the Saints offense change with Taysom in there as opposed to Simeon? Not just a regular Taysom, though, but a Taysom dealing with a plantar fascia injury. We're going to ask her that more next. Saints writer for USA Today, Maddie Hudak, joins us after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. Don't go anywhere. Count on. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Good morning, everybody. Working on getting uh, Maddie Hudak on the line. Haven't reached her yet. In the meantime, I'm going to give you my... Uh, oh, I think we got her now. We got Maddie on the line, so we'll uh, we'll get to her. We'll talk some Saints, Taysom Hill, among other things. Good morning, Maddie. How are you? Good morning. I am good. Uh, fighting the daily battle with uh, alarm clocks as usual. You're, 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 you're. Look, you're you're a night owl. You've been traveling with Tulane all season. You've been up late, so you know. I feel like I feel like eight fifteen for you would be like. You know, it might be, you know, like 5 a.m. for many others. That's, 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 I used to live my life the same way, so I understand. Well, the problem is they're, uh, the clocks are all, I think, set a few minutes off. So I've set myself up for a very confusing, uh, time frame in the morning, but that'll be an off season duty. Rise and grind. You got to (laughs) begin your day with the Saints. I know it's, it's one of the things that dominate your thoughts anyway. And, you know, I, I, I read your I read your stuff over at USA Today, uh, Maddie. And of course, folk listeners know who you are. You know, you've been on a number of times, and maybe they've heard you filling in uh, for Gus when he travels over at ESPN one hundred point three. But Taysom Hill, barring a setback at today's practice, he is dealing with plantar fascia. I am not an athlete. Taysom Hill is a superior athlete. All I know is that when I tried to train for a marathon years ago, I got plantar fascia. It's one of the most painful things I've ever dealt with. I had to use a cane for a week for it oh to my. heal. It was it it sucked. It was really bad. Now he, he's apparently reportedly got a partially torn one. Um, as he said yesterday, he said, "Look, the doctor said mm-hmm. it would be better if it was a full tear." I'm not a doctor. I just know it's really painful. If he is able to play, Maddie, and that's the expectation, and you've been calling for it for a while. How much does does do you see that injury impacting his ability to do the things that that kind of make him different from if Trevor Simeon was back there? 
Uh, well, it's hard to say because we, you know, we really just haven't seen him, you know, be in the game plan um, since what was it? The Atlanta Falcons game was the last time that I think he's been worked into yeah, the, yeah. or I guess the Tennessee Titans game, but kind of barely. Um, so I, I mean, it's something that once that came out, you know, it did clarify, I guess, a lot of confusion, you know, as to why he wasn't playing. Because when you think of, you know, someone like Taysom Hill, who's struggled with fundamentals and his footwork in the past, um, adding and, you know, an extra wrinkle to that, um, and I, I've also had the same it's plantar fasciitis. I think I've said it the wrong, whatever the incorrect tomato, tomato. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> exactly. it's, it hurts, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I can see how you know, like you know, it uniquely affects quarterback in that way. You know, planting your foot, if that's not on, and something's painful about that, then your mechanics can be off. Uh, so I can see how that would affect him in that aspect. Um, and it's hard not to think that that might play into a mobility factor. Uh, but I feel like the last couple of weeks have kind of shown that if he's not good to go, you know, they're going to hold him out. And if he is good to go, then hopefully it's not, you know, kind of this restricted version, uh, you know, half injured Taysom. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, if he is the one that gets to start that he's ready to do in full, but at the same time, that kind of injury can pop up in the middle of the game. So Hard to say at this point. I, I, I would say Trevor Simeon needs to stay ready. About Trevor, I think mm-hmm. blaming a four-game losing streak on him is is inaccurate. Um, I think in the first oh, yeah. two in the first two starts, there were just lots of drop passes, and then the last two, you know, the Saints were were rolling out an offense that it's not hyperbole to say, with the exception of you know Armstead and McCoy. The starters last week, that's who you would have, you know, that entire offense would have been playing in the fourth quarter of the fourth preseason game, and they were having to start. So injuries kind of railroaded the next two, and that's not to say he play, he didn't play, you know, uh, bad, because he did. But I, I it, it's, it's hard for me to look at Hill and think, how different are things going to be? I think when you're dealing with a roster that's lacking talent, that's when you need a guy that can perhaps make things happen on his own, and Hill can do that if he mm-hmm. if he's if he's healthy enough. You know, comparing it to last year when he started four games, to I think we can call the results mixed. I know they were three and one, but you just look at his <laughs> overall performance. Last year, this team had a lot more firepower around him. That's not yes, Ingram's expected to be back, but you look at the latest injury reports, right? Armstead and Ramchek, DNP, Kamara's limited. I personally will not be surprised at all if he does not play tomorrow. So. Hill, Hill just needs to kind of go out and I think try to just make chicken salad out of chicken poop. I think that turnover is special teams. I mean, that's the Saints' best shot of of trying to win tomorrow, right? Oh yeah, um, and, and with the Trevor Simeon thing, yeah, I think people that are blaming an Owen for you know record on on one player, um, you know, barring very extreme circumstances, I don't think that can usually be the case. Um, you know, I don't think he necessarily put the team in a position to win a lot of the time, but he's a third-string backup quarterback. I think all things considered, you know, he he rose considerably because um, if you you know saw that offense last week uh, against the Bills, that that was just really not. I saw it in person. A turning offense yeah, it whatsoever. Was, it made you appreciate. Um, it made you be more thankful for things from yesteryear is what it did on Thanksgiving. Yeah, just you know, basic, uh, basic things working. Not, not even any flashes. You know, just just the basic fundamentals of an offense. But the, my thing with Taysom as well is, I am curious as to see 
when all of this pressure is off of him, if that affects, you know, how he's able to perform. Because I feel like in his four-game stretch last year, there was all of this, you know, evaluation as quarterback of the future and, you know, becoming the, you know, apparent heir, you know, heir apparent to Drew Brees, Jameis Winston still kind of sitting in the wings, and you know that, you know, the quarterback's coming back in a couple of games. Uh, and then, you know, his, his kind of backslide in the preseason to me, a lot of that looked mental and kind of just losing out, you know, in his head to Jameis Winston, not not to take away from Jameis Winston, but I feel like at the same time that Jameis Winston won the battle with, you know, his abilities, Taysom in that same regard really lost it mentally to me in that same Jaguars game. Or not the, was it the Jaguars game? I think so, yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I'm just curious now that, you know, they're pretty much it's, you know, go, go have at it. Um, you know, it's not like there's people clamoring for Trevor Simeon to get back in the same way it would be with other quarterbacks. And, you know, Drew isn't there either. So it really is kind of, you know, quote, unquote, Taysom's team, should he be starting for lack of a better term. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, if, if that kind of psychological training wheels helps here at all. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's only so much that anyone can do back there at this point, even Drew Brees. Matty Hudak is, uh, is our guest. You've, you've been calling for Taysom for a little while now. Uh, it, it, I guess we have a little more clarity now, right? The plantar fascia, he was an emergency quarterback. But the fact that Ian Book, when Taysom was in an emergency situation and actually, you know, they they didn't want to play him unless they absolutely had to. The fact that Ian Book was inactive during that stretch. Uh, should we read, am I reading too much into that? That, that, that says... <laughs> That says a lot about Ian Book. I get it. He's only a rookie, and he was a mid-round draft pick. But, you know, he's a guy you, you did some scouting on in the preseason, Maddie. And when you're not even dressing him for, for some of those games, it, it's, it's alarming to me, cons, you know, considering what they actually had at QB in those games. And <laughs> if you don't want Taysom to play at all, why is he even dressed? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, the, my right. biggest takeaway was, man, how, how bad is Ian Book? So I, I've trying. I've been trying to marinate on this same thing because you know it kind of was like that. The first time was a little confusing to hear that, and then you know two weeks in a row, it almost is kind of like a red flag in that aspect of you know what's kind of going on here. But I, I, I think there is something to be said about putting someone that's not ready in a bad situation, and I think that goes past the lack of like receiving targets and things like that. I think like Drew's absence has really illuminated a lot of things and what he brought to this offense, uh, you know, past his accuracy and decision-making. Um, when, when he was doing the Manning cast, when the Saints were playing the Seahawks, he had mentioned how, you know, he was the one that set all of the protection calls behind the offensive line and, and you know, was the one who set up a lot of these types of things. And we've kind of seen, you know, more experienced quarterbacks still struggle with trying to communicate with this line. And so my only thought with Ian Book is with, with everything just not up to, you know, standards, he I might just not have, you know, enough of the understanding of, you know, NFL defensive schemes, uh, any way to aid out Eric McCoy and all of them with, you know, sending any types of protection calls. I don't know what, you know, Simeon or Hill are necessarily able to do in that aspect, uh, but it's a curious thing to me as well. That's really the only thing I can think of is, you know, it's 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 almost like putting – you know, a first-round rookie behind a really bad O-line on a really bad team, except, you know, he's a day three, round four rookie, um, you know, behind an O-line that, that is frankly just kind of a liability at this point. Uh, so 
I don't know. I, I think, though, if they lose this game and, and perhaps the next game, that you might as well throw them out there at that point. That That's really all I have with, with Book and what we know at this point. No doubt. Maddie Hudak, our guest, at Maddie Hudak underscore nine four on Twitter. She is verified. Give her a follow. Uh, are the Saints' playoff hopes, are they are – they, are they all but done if they lose tomorrow night? Is this is this it? Do they? I know the schedule and health and everything else, but all things considered, looking at the standings, is this is this it tomorrow? Well, when you consider where the Cowboys are, uh, COVID situation wise, coming into this game, I believe that they're without you know, several of their assistant coaches, their head mm-hmm. coach. It's going to be several players, and they've had a couple of suspensions, so. Yeah, when when you consider kind of you know the the skeletal version of the Cowboys team that they'll be getting, and, and really you know if, if Hill starts and he's full healthy and we can really see that full evaluation, I think I think that's being really underrated is the fact that the Saints have played you know eleven or I'm sorry three games in eleven days now uh, with this you know third second Thursday night football coming up in a row. And one of the earlier bye weeks, uh, you know, really out of everyone. So this three-game stretch has just been difficult. We're really starting to kind of see that wear and tear. Um, And so, you know, I think evaluating the team long term, if they lose this game tomorrow, you know, that that makes playoff hopes uh, a little bit harder to see. But the weird, you know, part is, is they're, you know, kind of in a three-way tie right now out of that bottom slot in the playoffs. But the Chicago Bears made it in last year with an 8-8 eight and eight record, you know, has that wild card slot. And they've added an additional one this year. Um, and so, you know, there, there are a lot of situations where they're not out of the playoffs. But there's a question of, you know, how much they will be able to do when they get there, you know, if, if the Cowboys are just a team, like I said, at, at the uh, health that they'll be at if they're not able to match them, you know, fr- from their injured standpoint, I, I don't, you know, see how that gets full speed into the playoffs. But there still is seven weeks left, which is hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. I mean, the <laughs> fact that January 9th is the last game of the season, it does feel like if the they can... The extra week. <laughs> yeah, it's, we, it's, it's, it's going to be really weird once we get all the way there. Like, you know, tip, I just I think of like a national championship game happening after the the first weekend of the playoffs. Now it's like no, it's it's just after the regular season in the NFL and college football is right. is, is there. Uh, it's going to take me a while to get used to it. But if to your point, right, the wild card of the Cowboys with all of their issues, some would argue not having Mike McCarthy might, might actually benefit them. But not having McCarthy and, and their entire you know not entire a lot of their offensive staff. Uh, will not. You know, the Cowboys haven't won this year when they haven't rushed for 100 yards. Uh, I think the Saints defense, they're missing Ooh, some guys, I- but it's, it's, it's not like the, the Saints offense, not even close. And, and they, right. they, they hung tough as long as they could. I mean, they, it was 10 nothing at the half against Buffalo. The offense just, you can't win a regular season game with a preseason offense. Um, uh, fourth quarter offense. And so they hung tough for a while. You look at the 31 and you could say, oh, and certainly they didn't play good against Philly. They played good enough against Tennessee. I mean, they hung tough against Atlanta for a little. Well, I say that. They didn't play good against Atlanta. They didn't get any pressure on Matt Ryan. Um, I I think if the Saints are going to pull this off, it's that other side of the ball. They need something offensively, obviously. And if the offense is anything like it was last week, the Saints are dead in the water, no matter who Dallas has or not. But if the defense can can keep Dallas at bay in terms of running the football and the Saints can escape with a win, 
you have the extra rest, right? Because you got 10 days between games. You play the Jets, mm-hmm. who there's no guaranteed win for this Saints roster, but it's certainly a winnable game. And then if, 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 if you have a winning record going into a Sunday night game against Tampa and you look down the stretch and you got games against Miami and Carolina and Atlanta, so I, I, losing five in a row and being 500 and, and, and a game and a half out of the last spot feels a lot different than, 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 than being, you know, uh, excuse me, five and seven feels a lot different than being 500 and looking at the final stretch and looking to get a little more healthy. I just, I think this is, I think the Saints, in terms of their postseason hopes, which are, in my opinion, not quite on life support, but you're getting pretty close to have to break out the clear. You, I think this game tomorrow night is it for the Saints. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, again, it's, there's no mathematical thing. And, and just about the defense, um, yeah, I, I've, I kind of strayed away from, from nitpicking them at this point because if you put, you know, pretty much any operative offense uh, across, the, you know, on the same team as them, then this is a defense that is more than capable of, you know, being a winning defense. I mean, uh you know, when the offense is sustaining drives from that range from seven to 30 seconds, three times in a row, um, and the other team has a strong rushing attack or a mobile quarterback, which I would say is my only, you know, concern with that defense from a playoff standpoint is their ability to contain mobile quarterbacks. But I also understand that, you know, when you've been on the field for more than 30 minutes by halftime in the Eagles game, for example, it's a lot harder at that point to kind of stop a rusher. And so to kind of go back to you know, the Cowboys with that 100-yard rusher, uh, that is that is where I look at, you know, the Tano passing on Marcus Davenport injuries as being a bit worrisome. Uh, but uh, I'm with you that I think that this defense should be able to contain the Cowboys. But at the same time, if we do kind of get that Taysom Hill offense and one that actually looks like one that's designed for him, uh, because, you know, as much as this game might feel like it's everything for us, I feel like a lot of people felt really similarly about last week. And I, I don't know how else to say that, you know, the Saints clearly didn't see that as a make-or-break-it game, um, you know, with whoever they were able to trot out there. Uh, and so, you know, when we get – if we get Taysom for the first time this week, it might be a limited version still, um, one that, you know, might – win a couple games later on. But, yeah, I think for that psychological edge for this last game stretch, I'm with you really with the importance of the of this game at this point. I, and, and I wish I could say which week of the NFL it is in, but as I was saying before, is it 12 or 13? Yeah, I think it's 13. Or, I've lost all concepts of, of so NFL just, week. Just add how many Saints games the Saints have played and then, and then, and then add one to it. And then that's, you know? that's you know I'm just I'm trying to teach myself math tricks with the new schedule like I did when <laughs> I was a kid. Maddie Hudak is is our uh, is our guest. Um, lastly, um, I think the, the Saints looked at at game against Buffalo, and it was funny. I was I was breaking it down last week. Now, I didn't know how decimated the offense was going to be. We knew it was going to be bad, and then they're announcing the starters, and I'm like, oh my god. Um, but but. <laughs> You know, they were going to have to win the turnover battle. They were going to have to make plays on special teams and then just hope for the best. Well, they created turnovers. It didn't matter. Didn't really do much on special teams. But Peyton said after the game, he basically said the exact same thing. He said, look, we knew based on what we had to work with. I I told him, 
talking about Deontay Harris. I told him to just take it out every time. Try to do something. We knew we were going to have to try to create, you know, uh, some kind of plays in other aspects of the game based on what we were going to have. And and Peyton, right. you know, I, I felt like he was a lot more blunt after the game Thursday against Buffalo. I get why. I understand why he doesn't want to talk about the injuries. And, and I don't think it's this, well, it's, I, I don't think it's, I think a lot of fans think it's, well, he doesn't want the other team to know or the opponent. No, I think it's about his own team, right? And their psyche and their mindset. He doesn't want it to creep into mm-hmm. their minds as an excuse. And, and, and yet after the loss last week, he wasn't using it as an excuse, but he was just being very blunt with what they had to work with. Um, having Mark Ingram back this week, possibly Taysom. I, I don't know that, that Harris has to take it out every time. I don't know that they, you know, that Gilligan has to have the game like he had against Washington. But, but if they do, if if ever there was a week for the special teams to create a major play in the game, it's 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 tomorrow against Dallas because this outside of the you know look their special teams wasn't great last week. Nothing was, but outside of the kicking, outside of the field goal kicking. Most of the season, the Saints special teams has been good. Not last week, but most oh, of the yeah. season. So I, I, I feel like if the Saints are getting a win tomorrow night, I guess it's my bold prediction, right? They are going to create some kind of major special teams play, either a direct touchdown or, or a turnover or a fumble or return that sets up a direct touchdown. I, I don't think they have to have multiple game-changing plays and special teams to win like they would have needed like four last week. But I think they need at least one. And I know they ran a fake last week, and Gilligan just, you know, <laughs> he put a little I'm too much mustard on it. That was, that was yeah. so yeah. weird. He just took the snap and heaved it. But but give me, I guess, and maybe maybe I said bold. There's nothing bold about this prediction. This is just my analysis. What is something, what is a major play in a major area you think they absolutely have to create tomorrow if they want a shot to upset Dallas and get back to 500? Uh, I really think, and and I, I quite frankly could make the argument that Blake Gilligan has been you know, a primary factor in some of these early season wins when you consider the field position Washington, that yeah. he kept giving the other team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and a lot of the time, Ty Montgomery or JT Gray has been responsible for kind of pinning those punts really far down there. Um, when you talk about, you know, again, them... Um, succeeding more with a 100-yard rusher and Ezekiel Elliott not being someone like Kamara who can be so elusive out of the backfield, you have them backed up all the way until their own, you know, into the end zone at that point. Uh, That makes their offense a little harder to operate. I know that Dak has had some injury concerns here and there this season, and I know that he's not, you know, the, the first and foremost relative mobile quarterback, but he can move, but in terms of special teams, I honestly think if, if Gillikin and someone you know, who's a gunner and that's running down there are able to really communicate and get really, you know, on the two-yard line, on the one-yard line, those types of field positions. I honestly don't think that it has to be anything really flashier than that. Great stuff. Maddie Hudak has been our guest, everybody. Give her a follow over on Twitter at Maddie underscore Hudak 9-4. Maddie Hudak underscore, let me say it, Maddie Hudak underscore 9-4. <laughs> that's it. Yes, it is pronounced Hudak. Which is uh, which is which is great, which is great, um, Maddie. I, I appreciate you waking up with us. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, good talking, Saints. I know James isn't here this week, but he he, he he appreciates you 
uh, interacting with them on Twitter. It's very important to my friend James. Somehow he he determines whether we're friends or not based on that. Um, he's 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 wise beyond his years, and yet when it comes to social media, it's it's like he's like in high school. Uh, so I just he he's going to get <laughs> mad at me for saying this, but I on behalf of him, I just wanted to thank you. Well, uh, to let him know, you're very welcome. <laughs> thank you, Maddie. All the best. We'll uh, Thanks, we'll talk Scott. again soon. All, all right. right. Take care. Okay. That is Maddie right. Hudak. Bye. She has been our guest here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. When we come back, top 10 teams in the NFL, count them down from 10 to 1 by my standards. It's all coming your way next. It's a great Scott show. Don't go anywhere. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings Sportsbook that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sportsbook because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 1420 when you sign up. Because when you do, $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it hits. That's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call one 877 stop Must be 21 or older. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Hey, this is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Frazier. Big thanks to Maddie Hudak for coming on. Gerald Broussard in the first hour. A lot of college football R1, NFL this hour. Norman Locke will be in studio with me tomorrow. The day of a Saints-Cowboys game, the Taysom Hill is starting for the Saints. If you've listened to Norman, you know we will have plenty to talk about tomorrow. Top 10 teams in the NFL. Dallas, no. No, not a bad record. How they're playing right now. Top half of the teams in the NFL. Sure. Top 10. No, Cincinnati is back in the top 10. I have them at number 10. It's been a topsy-turvy season for them. 
Once everyone started taking them serious, they went out and they lost to the Jets. Right? They're, they dominate the Ravens. Look out. Here come the Bengals. They go out, they lose to the Jets, they get crushed by the Browns. And then they dominate the Raiders and absolutely crush the Steelers. Back in the top 10. The Titans, the injuries are pulling up for the are just they're piling up for the Titans right now. I have the Titans at ninth because of the injuries and how they're playing. And yeah, I, I, I haven't taken the Titans super serious as a Super Bowl contender, and that's not going to change. But they're certainly a playoff team and a team that can they can physically win games in the trenches, but they're too hurt right now to do it. You see what happens when you try to make Ryan Tannehill win you the game when you can't run the ball? He's thrown five picks the last two weeks. His quarterback rating is like 58. It's bad. Number eight, the San Francisco 49ers. They've won four of five. Elijah Mitchell is balling right now. He's in the top 10 of the NFL in rushing, and he's only played in 10 games. He is a tremendous talent. He's getting a lot of recognition. George Kittle wore Elijah Mitchell's shirt to a presser this week. Get, get, giving Mitchell love. The former Ragey Cajun, the former Erath Bobcat doing big things for the Niners this year. And the Niners, they're playing better. And, and why are they playing better? Because what do you do, right, in a Kyle Shanahan offense? Run the ball, win in the trenches, have a good defense. They're more healthy. They're doing those things. And guess what? Jimmy Garoppolo, as a result, his pass rating is one is, is plus 110 in the last five games. When you don't try to make him win you the game, you do good things. I just mentioned the Titans. Same thing with Tannehill. Number seven on the list and continuing to move up week to week, the Kansas City Chiefs. Right when everyone finally started to give up on them. Well, I guess the Chiefs are done. Yeah, I guess I'm finally going to stop betting on them. They reel off a four-game winning streak. And they still lack a pass rush. They're still not physical enough. They're, they're a finesse team. They really need Chris Jones on defense. But their defense is forcing takeaways. Eight takeaways during this four-game win streak. They're playing better. The Ravens are sixth. They have the best kicker of all time. They have one of the best tight ends in the league. Everyone talks about Kelsey and Kittle. People need to talk about Mark Andrews. And Lamar, even in a game where he throws four interceptions, still leads in the victory. Buffalo Bills are number five. The Bills are weird because they're a team that when they get punched in the mouth have trouble winning. Look at their law. Every one of their wins this year was by 15 or more. My point is when they smell blood in the water, they dominate. When it's a close game, they haven't shown that they can win. They can be a bit too one-dimensional at times, but, man, are they dynamic when they're clicking. The Bills are, are, are truly the team that can beat any team in the league and lose to any team in the league. The Bucks are fourth for me. They're not too healthy right now. Can they stay healthy and run consistently? That's the key. Last year, they were... Slightly above average most of the regular season. They got hot and healthy at the right time, and he carried them through the playoffs for a Super Bowl. Number three, the New England Patriots. Boy, this team looks different than they did at the beginning of the season, don't they? They're averaging 35 points a game. They have won six games in a row. Mac Jones is playing dirty, rolling on ankles, but the Pats are rolling right now. They had a really good draft. They've got a great defense 
They're plus 13 in the turnover differential during this six-game win streak. And Bill Belichick is wearing weird white spandex to go along with the worse Bill Belichick dresses, the better the Patriots play. I mean, that's been that's been that's been just facts for the last twenty years. The worse he dresses, and he's a bad dresser. Well, guess what? They've won a lot of games. Oh well, Scott, who have they beaten during the win streak? I mean, they dominated the Titans, dominated the Browns, they beat the Chargers. You know, the Chargers were their only close game. All these other games, it's not just that they're winning, it's that they're crushing teams. Monday night, game of the week, Bills-Pats. ESPN's got a great game, Bills-Pats. It'll be fun. Arizona, number two. If Kyler Murray gets healthy, the sky's the limit for the team. But I think what his injury has shown really is more so that Arizona is legit because they've won games with Colt McCoy. The pl- they have playmakers on both sides of the ball. They are the fastest team in the NFL. Chandler Jones has consistently been the most underrated player in the league. And because they're in Arizona and people don't believe in their head coach and was Kyler Murray healthy, they just they go into the red and they continue to win. I have Green Bay as my number one team. And the fact that Green Bay is emotionally volatile, but they're number one, tells you that the NFL is wide open this year in terms of who could win it all. So you look at Green Bay, they can be a mess at times, but with Aaron Rodgers, they they still win. Love them or hate them. No single player makes a bigger difference for their team in the entire league than Aaron Rodgers does with the Green Bay Packers. They won games missing four pro bowlers. When you go to Arizona on a short week, the team that I have number two on this top 10 list, you go to Arizona on a short week and you're missing four of your best players and you win, you got to give them their due. They had to play Jordan Love for a week and they, you know, they couldn't do anything on a day where Kansas City barely had to do anything just to win. Love them or hate them. COVID, TOVID, whatever you want to say about Aaron Rodgers. He's the reason Green Bay's number one. Without him, they're picking in the top five. With him, they are a legit Super Bowl contender. Facts. And that's my top ten. Cincinnati 10, Tennessee 9, San Francisco 8, Kansas City 7, Baltimore 6, Buffalo 5, Tampa Bay 4, New England 3, Arizona 2, Green Bay 1. On the college side of things, you have the college football playoff. Rankings came out last night. Michigan goes all the way up to number 2. Alabama, who barely escaped against a average Auburn team, at number 3, still ahead of Cincinnati. And look, if if Bama beats Georgia, what is the committee going to do? Are they going to move Georgia down to two or move them to three and put Bama at two? Are they just going to have them play one another back-to-back? What I'm rooting for this weekend in college football is utter and complete chaos. First of all, Louisiana, App State, 230, Cajun Field, be there. You know, want the Cajuns to win. In regards to the other games, rooting for Baylor to beat Oklahoma State. Why? Because Oklahoma State still could conceivably, if they went out and dominated Baylor, the college football playoff committee would say, oh, well, you dominated Baylor in Cincinnati. They barely got by Houston, so we're going to move you up past Cincinnati. You don't want to give them any excuse that they're looking for. 
Because I'll tell you this right now, the College Football Playoff Committee is rooting for Houston. They don't want to put Cincinnati in there, but if Cincinnati wins, they have to, especially if Baylor wins. Let Cincinnati win. Let Baylor win. Make it happen. I say let. That's what I hope happens. I hope Iowa beats Michigan. And I hope Georgia beats Alabama. And then what do you do? That's when the committee is in a situation where regardless of what they do, it's going to be highly critical, but it'll be the most debated thing. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. This is the great Scott show on ESPN Lafayette. I will be back with you guys tomorrow. Norman Locke will be in studio. Saints Cowboys playing tomorrow night. We'll have plenty to dive into. Dan Patrick's next. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Big thanks to Gerald Broussard and Matty Hudak. Big thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Scott Prather. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Black people are over here. Come on.